Good evening. I want to welcome you to Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church on this Good Friday. We're glad you're here to uh, remember one of the most significant days in human history. Right up there, Resurrection, Good Friday. This is it. This is it. Uh, this is why we have salvation. And so we want to remember it well, and we're glad you're here to do that with us. Um, I invite you to turn to Matthew. Uh, if you get your Bibles out, we're going to look at um, some scripture together tonight. Matthew 27. If this is your first time at Three Lakes Church, um, special welcome to you. My name is Pastor Niall Philia. I've been here since uh, September of last year, so um, I want to welcome you tonight. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 27. Uh, page 705 if you're using the Bibles in your pews. It says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. 
the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Hoses, the mother of Zebedee's sons. Let's pray. Jesus, we've just sang about the cross, and it just strikes me, the line that strikes me as we sing about how it's beautiful to us. And I think that hits hard because I know it wasn't beautiful to you, and it wasn't beautiful to those watching. It was agony and torment. It was a mother knowing her son was dying. It was, it was disciples knowing that their rabbi, their master, what, what was being killed It didn't look beautiful, and yet we know on the other side of it, when we know what it accomplished, when we see what it's done in our lives, we can say it's beautiful. We we, we can say that it's made us beautiful. And so we we just ask that as we look at an event that is ugly on its face, that we might be able to understand afresh not only the ugliness of it, but the beauty of it. And, and know that that's an incredible paradox, and yet it is so true. We invite you here tonight, Lord Jesus. We know you're here. We know that when we gather, your presence is here. But we, we want you to be here in a significant way, moving amongst us by your Spirit, as we consider your death. We're thankful that we can talk to you right now, because we know that you're alive. That what we read tonight is not the final word but we do want to consider your final words tonight as you were being crucified. In your name we pray. Amen. When I was in third grade, I shared this with the fun club actually uh, for their Easter lesson. When I was in third grade, I rode the bus to and from school. And one day the bus dropped me off and I got out and I walked into my house and there was no one there. Now, uh, it wasn't like Home Alone, all right? It wasn't like I went to get the M&Ms and got the waffles and the syrup and put them all together and and just started a big party. It wasn't like that. I can't relate to that. It might be a funny movie, but I can't relate. Because when I was Home Alone at the the young age of being in third grade, whatever that is, 10, 9, or 10, um, I was scared. And I remember walking through the house and calling for mom and calling for dad and Where's my brother and sister? Where is everybody? And no answer. And I felt totally left alone. How, how could they abandon me? You know, I, I'm just a little kid. And I thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to figure out where they went? And so I, I remember I thought, well, I've got to call somebody. I've got to figure out how to get out of this predicament. And, and I don't know how long I was there by myself. It was probably all of 15 minutes, I'm sure, But it felt like an eternity. It felt like 15 years. You know, you're just like, what am I going to do? And uh, so I called. I remember calling the church because the church always has answers, right? I mean, they have to know. The church has answers. So I called the church. Where's mom and dad? We don't know. 
Well, that's no help. And so I sat there. And I don't remember if I cried or not. I just remember feeling very, very scared and very, very alone. And what was probably, like I said, about 15 minutes, my parents show up. Apparently, I wasn't supposed to get on the bus that day. I was supposed to wait at school for them. I'm sure I messed it up. But regardless of who messed it up, it is an uncomfortable feeling to be home alone. And it reminds me that often in our life, even believers that have walked with the Lord for years, I'd known my parents nine or ten years at that point, they didn't make it a habit of leaving me alone, all right? This wasn't a normal occurrence. But we've walked, a lot of us have walked with the Lord for years, and yet there are still times we know when we feel alone, when we feel like God is standing far off. There's psalms written about that. You can, you can read David's thoughts on that, about when he says, God, why are you standing far off? Why aren't you responding to my cries? It's the human experience to know that, that there's a God there, and yet he doesn't feel close to me at all. In fact, I feel forsaken. That's a human experience that I think most of us have gone through. And yet, when we read about Jesus' time on the cross, his agony and his suffering, nothing that I feel in this life will match the forsakenness that he felt, the aloneness that he felt. And that aloneness speaks a word to us tonight. And so I want to look at that a little bit more. Jesus' words on the cross and, and if you've been uh, here at Three Lakes Church this month, you know we're looking at questions that Jesus asked his disciples and others. And this is a question that Jesus is asking his father. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It, there's, not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of phrases of Jesus's that are preserved in their original language that they were spoken. Scholars say this is a mixture of Aramaic and Hebrew. Um, it, it's a difficult phrase. It was misunderstood a little bit by those that heard it. He's calling for Elijah. Well, he was calling for God. But we have the original words. The writer thought, this is important enough that I want to give them the original saying that Jesus called out on the cross that day. I want, I want to preserve that. I know all Jesus' words are significant, but for whatever reason, this was a little different. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a quote from Psalm 22. I'm not going there right now, but if you'd like to look at it later, we may go there in a little bit, but um, it is a quote from Psalm 22. So he is calling up everything that that psalm says. That psalm actually describes crucifixion pretty well before crucifixion was invented. But I want to make some other observations about this forsakenness that Jesus felt. But I had to start here, first of all. Uh, for those new to the Christian thing, and, and, and you're thinking about the fact that, that Jesus is calling to his Father in heaven and saying, why are you turning your back on me? Right? I mean, there's lots of passages in the, in the Old Testament that talk about God's face shining on us. That was the Hebrew blessing, right? May his face shine on us. And this is God turning his face away. So, Let's be clear, though, that we're talking about the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And there's no, there's no separation in the Trinity. It's not like the Father and the Son are now 
two different people. There's not now two gods. It's still one God, but there's a break in the relationship. There's a break in the fellowship here. It was a planned break. Okay, we we got to put it out of our minds because I've I've read I've read some scholars that want to suggest that this is some sort of divine child abuse, and it's not. It's the Father saying, I, for God so loved the world, John 3.16. It's God saying, I love people so much that I want to I deal with their sin. We're going to do that. I'm going to offer up my son. And the son says, I willingly do it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, as the scriptures say. So to set it up a little bit, I'm not saying that the Trinity is now uh, separate, but I'm saying that there's a break in fellowship. There's a turning that's never happened before. Why have you forsaken me? Well, here's some things I notice about this saying of Christ on the cross. First of all, he says it in the darkness. In other words, from about 9 a.m. to noon, there's light over Jerusalem. 9 a.m. to noon, everything's in the light. And his suffering is in, uh, in, in the sun, if you will. But from noon to three, it says there's darkness that covers the land. And so Jesus utters this cry in darkness. Now what's up with the darkness? Why, why darkness? If you remember any Old Testament history, you'll remember that Moses uh, was leading the people of Israel out of Egypt and there was these ten plagues. The plague before the last one was darkness. Judgment, I believe, is what we're going for here. I believe it was judgment is why it became dark. And you say, well, who's getting judged? Well, for one, the people that crucified Christ were getting judged. Because God doesn't approve of their sin of crucifying His Son. It was the plan, but they're still responsible for killing someone that's innocent. It's a judgment on our sin, right? Because Jesus bore the weight of our sin. So, so in the darkness, there is, there is a transfer of guilt from me to Jesus. Okay? So, when we think about darkness, we ought to think, this is God saying, I'm not okay with sin. This is judgment. Now, related to that, I believe when Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? I believe it's that, that statement of being forsaken. I mean, I talked about the Trinity at the beginning a little bit to make sure I kept that clear. But that statement has to be deeper than we know. It has to be. Why have you forsaken me? So I I talked about it as if the father turned his face away. But it's got to be deeper than that. I mean, you think about it. You take all the sins of humanity, all of the murders, all the immorality, all the lies, all the greed, all of that, and you say, I'm going to set all of this on Jesus. I mean, this is a holy person. This is someone who's never felt sin. All right? Like, like, like when you sin and when I sin, we feel shame. There's some things I never want to talk about again. You know, I don't want to go there. I don't want to bring that up. I'm glad it's forgiven. I've dealt with it. I don't want to talk about it. 
And I bet you feel the same way about some things. And yet, whatever that felt like, magnified by the entire human race, was set on Jesus. And if you think about it, uh, I know that the person that's not forgiven, the Bible teaches, spends an eternity in hell. So, so I know the Bible teaches the judgment for my sin is hell, and somehow God put the judgment of hell on His Son while He was on the cross. What was that like? Again, there's no way for me to even fathom Him saying, why have you forsaken me? Because, I mean, what is it? Is it, is it in hell's forever? So, so did God take an infinite amount of suffering and, and somehow cram it into three hours on His Son? I don't know. I don't know. But I know when Jesus said it, it was profound. It was something he'd never experienced before. And so I have to stand in awe of what happened on the cross that day when there was the transfer of my sin onto him. I'll never fully get it in this life at least. I also note that when Jesus said it, he didn't get a response, right? I mean, he's calling out to God. He's quoting Psalm 22, but he's calling out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Normally, Jesus called God Father. I mean, when we read the New Testament, you see him call his own Father, Father. Now, we take it for granted. I teach my kids to pray, dear Heavenly Father, right? That's just the way we pray. Where do we get that? I, I don't see father language so much in the Old Testament. I see father language in the life of Jesus. But here, he just says, my God. You know, I mean, it's, it's like there's, it, it, the relationship is there, but, but what's happening right there is just earth shattering. And there's no response. There's Silence. There's none of the, when he was baptized, he came up out of the water and the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased at the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, he goes up the mountain with his disciples, three of them, and he shines in all of his glory and they hear the voice. I mean, it's like this time there's silence. God doesn't answer. I know he will answer because, because we have other passages that say, uh, that, that now Jesus is, is glorified and he sits at the right hand of majesty on high. Jesus is enthroned in heaven by his Father. So, so of course, there's a restoration there, but at that moment, th- there's silence. Again, uh, there, there's a break in the fellowship of the Trinity. God says, I will not respond to you right now. Anything that Jesus asked for, it seems like was always given to him in his earthly ministry. Maybe except that the cup might pass because the cup had to come to him and he accepted it. The other thing we should note about this statement that Jesus made on the cross, this question that he cries out to his father with, is that people mocked him for it. The response is, well, let's see if Elijah will come and help him. They, they, that's, that's the way they heard the words. He's calling for Elijah. They didn't get it all the way. And so they said, well, let's see if Elijah saves him. He saved others. Let's see if he can save himself. 
Again, Christ's death reveals the depth of our depravity. But we're the mockers. We are the ones that without spiritual enlightenment, we just don't get it. We just don't get it. And I bet you can remember times in your life where you just didn't get it and the last thing you wanted was anything to do with Christ. People are so lost. We were so lost that we would, if we were there and seeing an innocent man suffering, to say something like, well, fine, let him come down and prove himself. Give me the proof. Then I'll believe. We hear that so often today. Just give me the proof. If he just show himself to me, I could believe it. But it shows the depravity of our souls that we don't get it. We just don't get it without him showing us who he is. And then you have the centurion who doesn't mock him and instead recognizes that this is something much, much more. This is the Son of God. Jesus was forsaken for us so that we would never have to be forsaken by God. That's the truth. That's what we ought to walk out of here with. That, that because God turned his back on his son, because he had to feel the weight of the punishment for my sin and your sin, there will never be a time when God is not with us. It, it's, it's not that we don't have the experience of feeling distant. Because that happens. Happens to me, happens to people. That, that there are times when maybe, maybe you chalk it up to sin, right? I mean, uh, think of the verse, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You know, when I sin... I have this rift in the fellowship. It's like I'm looking the other way. I'm not looking God's way. I'm looking this way. And so, so we feel that. We, we, we feel distant. Sometimes we have no reason we feel distant. We're like, where is God? I'm going through this horrible thing in my life and I just want God to step in and fix it. And I feel like He's just left me alone here. I don't have answers for you on that, but, but I can tell you the truth that when Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, one of his final statements to his disciples, he means it. He is with you always. When you walk through the hard things, when you walk through the good things, he is with you. And if you don't feel it, he's with you. And if you sinned, his heart's broken, but he is with you. So my... My statement is tonight, would you consider the fact that you that know Jesus, you you have the Spirit of Christ living in you. The Spirit of Jesus lives in you. And God will never again turn His back on His Son. Okay? He'll never again. He can't forsake you because He can't forsake the one that lives in you. That was a one-time deal. And it's done. It's done. For those of you that don't know Christ and don't have Him, His Spirit living in you, 
uh, this is an invitation for you to say, I, I need that. I want, I want that forgiveness. Um, I like telling stories and messages, and I like telling humorous stories, but, I mean, this is just mostly serious tonight because a life without Christ, an eternity without Christ, means that even though your sins were paid for, you never reached out and accepted that forgiveness. And so now you get to pay for it yourself. And I don't want that for you, and God doesn't want that for you. He wants to accept you, but will you accept his gift? I'd invite you to do that tonight if he's calling you. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes? And if it's your desire to follow this Jesus as one of his disciples and say, I am in, I want that forgiveness. I want that new life. I want to know that, that God will never turn his back on me, even if I feel far from him. I talked to one, uh, I talked to one man once who, who lost his job, and he says, God hates me. I need money so bad right now, and I just lost my job, and he hates me. And, and it's hard to combat that, except to say, if you believe in Christ, he'll, he'll never hate you. He'll never turn away from you. I don't care if the world crumbles around you, He'll never turn from you. And if you want that kind of a relationship with God where you submit yourself to Him and receive His forgiveness and become His follower, let's pray tonight together. And if that's you, would you look up and make eye contact with me? If, if that's where you're at and you say, i got to pray tonight. i gotta, I got to do business with Christ tonight. If that's you, Thank you. Thank you for being sensitive to the Spirit. For the couple of you that I see, let's, and, and others if it was in your heart, let's pray together. Jesus, I am so sorry for all of my mistakes that you had to bear that day on the cross. It was that my mistakes are so ugly and the cross was so ugly. But I ask you to forgive me and make me something beautiful out of this. Change me. Forgive me. Save me. I bow my heart to you. I, I intend to follow you the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen.